Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. Before I jump into the message, I want to... uh, uh, highlight just a, a, a few things. By the way, if you're a first-time guest, that's supposed to be a, a donut. That's what the little sprinklers are to go along with the uh, uh, topping. Uh, but I want to make a couple of announcements because uh, um, so some of these aren't um, have not been talked about a lot yet. One involves a training opportunity that's coming up this Friday and this Saturday uh, that our Caldwell Baptist Association is putting on. We actually hosted kind of like a mini-conference of this uh, a year or two ago. Uh, but it's some training called Life Communities. Uh, Steve Clark and, and his wife, Steve used to be the pastor of New Hope Church over in the, the Conover area. And uh, they practiced this in their life for several years. Uh, a few of you came to that mini uh, conference that we put on. Well, our association has uh, brought him in to town because he's now retired and lives in Florida. Uh, but uh, he's coming in. And this coming Friday night and then Saturday, I think probably up until lunchtime, uh, he and his wife are going to lead in a seminar about life communities. Now, to help you understand what that is a little bit, it's really, really practical information. One of the most practical uh, conferences I ever went to, to where he and his wife will share with you how they have done this in their own ministry, in their own life, to where they just were friends to people. You know, they tried to develop relationships with their neighbors and, uh, and use that as an avenue to try and reach them with the gospel. So it's really, really practical information. So uh, I want to encourage you to maybe go to that training. Uh, it's going to be at Lower Creek Baptist Church. Uh, we, uh, I think, sent an email out about it. Uh, so through Day 3 Share, you've got the times and things like that that my 63-year-old mind doesn't remember uh, right now. Uh, but I want to highly encourage you to take... Um, you make use of that if you can. You'll, you'll find it opening up really practical ways in non-threatening ways uh, that you can build relationships with, uh, with people and try and win them to Christ. So that's one thing I want to highlight. Another thing, the decision magazines from the Billy Graham Association, I ordered several of those because they kind of go along with some of our topics in this series. We handed those out a couple of weeks ago. We still have several copies out in the hallway on the table. Uh, when you leave today, grab two or three of those. It it will not benefit ministry for those to stay here on a table. Uh, But you can take those and give them to somebody you work with or a neighbor or a friend and uh, and ask them to read through it because it's got some really good articles in uh, in that copy of Decision Magazine. And I I didn't want those to just sit there uh, and uh, and not be used whatsoever. A third thing I want to highlight before the message is that on the 22nd, we're going to kind of take a a hiatus for one Sunday from this series. Uh, I'll only have one other message in this series on the other side of the 22nd. But on the 22nd, we've got the opportunity to have Don Sunshine Evangelistic Ministries with us. Uh, some of the men uh, went to hear him in Morganton a few years ago, and he will be here at both of our services. He will be here at 8.30 and 10.30. He will teach the exact same content at 8.30 and 10.30. 
we're encouraging our men to come to the 8.30 service because during the 10.30 service, we need you to help cook upstairs because we're going to feed everybody. And then after we feed everybody on the other side of lunch, we're going to come back downstairs and he's going to do a session two of his evangelistic training. So that means for the 8.30 people, I told them to go hang out at Walmart or something for a little while on the 22nd and come back and eat with us. But we'd like for as many people as possible to, to stay behind uh, for that training. Uh, he and I have some infinity. He's former law enforcement. Can you imagine uh, being in law enforcement in New Jersey and your name being really Officer Sunshine? Can you, can, can you imagine that? And, uh, and yet that's, you know, that was his lot in uh, life. But then God called him into evangelistic ministry. And uh, I think any of our men that went there would say he does a very good job uh, with that. And it will give all of us some better training uh, in evangelism. So be praying about those uh, events and, uh, and please try and make the best use you can uh, from those. Uh, <clears throat> this series that we are in, uh, I think maybe fits the song that John did last about us being tethered to the heart of God, because as believers, that ought to be true of our lives. Instead of you and I being tethered to culture and allowing culture to be the driving factor in our lives or being what dictates what we believe and, and how we behave, uh, the way I've put it already in this series, almost every week, I guess, is that as Christians, instead of having a cultural worldview, we ought to have a biblical worldview. And that means that what the Bible teaches ought to be what helps us make our choices and our decisions in life and the way we view the, the world that we live in, not just the things of culture. So that's why we have spent a lot of time in this series talking about all kinds of various cultural type things, whether it be uh, racism, uh, abortion. Uh, we just spent two weeks on sexuality. And, and I want to point out, in case you weren't here, one of the main reasons I dealt with sexuality for two weeks before I deal with the theme that we're on today, which is the hot topic of homosexuality, is that I think it gave us a correct protocol for us to deal with sin in our own camp before we start dealing in sin in somebody else's camp. Amen? Uh, and, and we need to understand that. Guys, while we may not like this, the truth of the matter is, uh, especially percentage-wise and statistically, uh, those of us who are, uh, you know, correctly view ourselves as heterosexual, and you'll see that in the Bible as we teach it a minute ago, regrettably, the biggest group of sinners on the planet is probably heterosexual sinners because of everything that that encompasses, whether it be pornography or adultery and, and, and things like that. So, you know, we need to admit that ourselves before we deal with some type of topic like homosexuality because I think we're prone to think, man, how bad that is, and we need to understand we've got our own junk too, amen, that we need to be honest with and, and deal about. But we, we do need to look and see what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. Uh, we're not trying to wound anyone or hurt anyone uh, whatsoever, but, but we need to have a clear understanding of what the Bible says. We're not trying to attack anyone. I just want to present a biblical view of homosexuality, just like we've looked at a biblical view of all these other issues that we've talked about in this series. So in doing so today, we're going to try and look at some biblical truths by doing a, a little bit of a progression through the scriptures. Uh, we're going to start out 
early in the Bible and see some things that are implied there uh, and specifically talked about early in the Bible. Then we're going to move from that to the law and see what God said in the law that he gave to, uh, to mankind that deals with homosexuality. And then we're going to move to the New Testament and, and see New Testament content there. So uh, in, in a way, it'll be expositional because the way I'll deal with it, but it's kind of a topical message. But uh, I wanted us to get a full picture because some people will uh, will say, well, but, uh, you know, all that's Old Testament, or that was really back in Genesis, and that's why I want us to go through and even see what the New Testament has to say. So that's kind of what our goal is uh, this morning with this topic. So to start with, homosexuality addressed in the beginning of the Bible. Like I said, it's implied there, but it's also very specific. Uh, some of these verses I will read have had application in several of the messages in this Hot Topic series. I, I'm not going to apologize for that because I think that's good that we understand even things back in Genesis still have application uh, today. And we understand that's part of, of God's word. So let's start out by, by focusing upon this. God's plan for sexuality clearly in the Bible is one man and one woman married to each other. That, that was his plan for, for sexuality. Uh, I, I read these verses already, but in Genesis 1, 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then we get over to uh, uh, the, the woman being created, Eve being created, and what really becomes like the, the first marriage, I think. It talks about the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man. He made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said this at last. He had this felt need in his life after naming all the animals. This at last. Is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. So, so guys, when we're going to talk about God's plan for, for sexuality, it's clear as we read in this story that, that, that God created a man and he created a woman. And then when this first marriage takes place, God did not bring a man to a man, nor did he bring a woman to a woman. He, he brought the woman to the man. And then you see this first ceremony taking place. It talks about them becoming one flesh, uh, which is, is true biologically and also true uh, in, in intimacy terms uh, and also true in the relational bond that God wanted them to have. So we, we see this part of God's plan. And there's no shame in that whatsoever. So there's no shame in the sexual relationship. Now I've got a little footnote up there that says this. It talks about a first mentioned principle in the Bible. And if you've ever studied the Bible most, you'll run across that. And what many theologians say is this. If you want to see the heart of God concerning some issue, if you'll find the first time it's mentioned in the Bible, then that will give clarity upon what God what his heart and his plan and his purpose was. So if that indeed is true, and I think it is, I subscribe to that, then right here, right early in the Bible, we see what? A man being married to a woman. And that's God's original plan. That's his purpose. If you want to understand God's heart in that direction, that's the first mention principle concerning that. I also think about this, not just God's plan for sexuality, but God's purpose for sexuality involved reproduction of the human race. We've also talked about this first in this series. 
In, in chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So stop and think about that being God's purpose, part of his purpose for the man and the woman, for them to multiply. So guys, it, it, it's not very hard for us to think about this and be logical about it. The union of a man with a man in an intimate way can not produce a baby. They can't multiply. The, the union of a woman with a woman in, in an intimate fashion cannot produce a baby unless you do some medical things, injections and stuff like that, you know, taking place that it doesn't happen like that. So that alone, that God had a purpose in bringing the man and the woman together, which was for them to multiply and reproduce, that, that lets us know that homosexuality doesn't fulfill the purpose of God. In fact, it's the antithesis of the purpose of God. It's going exactly diametrically opposed to what the purpose of God is. Now, those two things are kind of implied uh, as far as homosexuality. But there's something else that's not implied. It's pretty specific. And that is God's punishment for homosexuality early in the Bible. Anybody ever heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? And we're not going to have time to read the whole story, but I'm going to read the, the main important elements out of it. Uh, guys, even in our English language, we've got a word that used to be used a lot to coin that situation, that practice, which was sodomy. And, and that itself is attached from the word of, of, of Sodom that we find here in, in the Bible. If you remember the story, um, you know, God is, God is sending, uh, someone, uh, I think two angels into the city and they're going to go destroy the city. And Abraham is there and he sees them coming and he goes and begs with them. And he, uh, you know, he says, well, will you do this? Will you do that? I, I think probably the, I think the pre-incarnate Jesus was there in, uh, in part of that discussion. And he said, well, you know, if you find so many righteous people, will you destroy it? Because he's, he's begging in the back of his mind. Abraham's thinking about law and his family, they shouldn't have been there to start with. Have you ever recognized they shouldn't have been there to start with? He looked out, Lot did, saw a well-watered plain, and he thought, oh my, I think I'll raise my family there. And he just pitched his tent that direction. Next thing you know, he's living in the city as a leader at the gate. And we'll see what that leads to as we read these verses also. But the, the Bible talks about that uh, clearly. It's something specifically. So let me read through some of those verses. Genesis 18, verse 20, 21. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous, so here's God's opinion, that I will go down and see if what they've done is about as an outcry that has reached me, and uh, if, if not, I'll know. Genesis 19, verse 4 and 8 through 8. But before... Uh, they lay down. So let me set a little bit of context there. The men have gone into the city. Uh, Lot kind of recognized them. He might have backslid a lot, but he still had a little bit of spirituality about him. And uh, he recognized them, and he went and grabbed them and brought them into his house because he was going to be hospitable to them and, uh, and, and protect them. Uh, so they're there in the home now. Uh, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, notice the way this is phrased, both young and old, all the people to the last man. Does that give you a sense of how pervasive this sin had spread within that culture, within, within the city that was there? Uh, and, and they surrounded the house and they called to Lot, where are the men that came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so we may know them. Now the word for know there is the same word that's used when it talks about Adam knew Eve and she did what? She conceived. 
So understand what's being talked about here. These, these men in Sodom are knocking on Lot's door saying, well, we didn't get a chance to shake their hand. We didn't get a chance to talk to them. That's not what he's talking about at all. They have some very evil intent. And you can see that as we continue reading. So bring them out to us so we may know them. Lot went out to them at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. So it's not just a thing of, hey, we didn't get a chance to meet them. It's talking about some type of a wicked sin. Then he says, behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. You getting the full picture? Also, you're getting the full picture of this. I guarantee you when Lot just pitched his tent towards Sodom, he didn't realize it was going to take him to this dark place in his life. To where he's willing to take his own daughters out and give them to the men of the city and let them rape them and do whatever they want to them all night long. I'm sorry. I had two daughters. They're adults now. One of them I know for sure can take care of herself because she's in law enforcement and everything. So she's probably packing all the time. You know, she can take care of herself. But I promise you, if you had ever showed up on my door and knocked on my door and said, let me have your two daughters, it's not going to turn out good, you know? Amen, guys? Amen? But, but that's how far he had gone, how, how far sin had taken him. Pick back up in Genesis 19, verse 13. They had not let him send his daughters out. They shut the door. They, they told Lot, hey, you need to get all your family together, and here's why. For we're about to destroy this place because of the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And then read in chapter 19, verse 24 through 26. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew the cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Now, there's some debate that some people will give you sometimes about why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I heard a podcast a while back that uh, went that direction a, a little bit. And there is a passage of scripture in Ezekiel, in, in chapter 16, verse 49, where God is talking about condemning the way the people in Sodom and Gomorrah would not be hospitable to people. They wouldn't take care of the poor. They, they would not minister to them the way God expected them when, when strangers would come in. So, so God is, is giving a judgment out against that. So that might have been part of it. <laughs> but the fellow I heard on the podcast, I wonder if he had ever read over in Jude, verse 7. Because in the New Testament, in Jude, verse 7, it says this, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and, per, and pursued, do you see that? Unnatural desire serve as an ongoing example of, of punishment of eternal fire. Notice the reference to sexual immorality and the reference to unnatural desire. Hey, God might have been upset with them because they were not ministering to people as they should, as is addressed there in Ezekiel. But here in the New Testament, we're clearly told that they were committing sexual immorality. And we're told that it involved an unnatural desire. In other words, men for men. 
Maybe women for women also. But we're told it was an unnatural desire. So here in the beginning of the Bible, we are clearly told both by implication of what a marriage is supposed to be, the man and woman being brought together, and also specifically by God bringing this judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. We're told that homosexuality is not just some alternate lifestyle that's okay. What about homosexuality addressed in the law? That was given by God to, to men. I addressed this last week, but I, I want to, you know, some of you may not have been here. Guys, I, I think we've got a tendency when we think about the law that, uh, and it's part of our fallen nature. I mean, let's admit it, it's part of our sinful nature. We don't like people saying you can't do that, do you? You know? But, but God, when he put the prohibitions in the law, God's not trying to be some spoil sport. He's not trying to keep from you something that would be fulfilling in your life. Instead, God being God knows what is best for your life. He knows what is the most fulfilling for your life. That's why he had these rules. We also know this, in case someone's sitting there thinking, I understand this myself, guys. The law wasn't given to save anybody, amen. It, it was given to show us how messed up we are. We're only saved through Jesus and God's grace, Amen. But see, God wants us to live a, a life for his glory, not for ourselves. And when God gives us boundaries, it's for our own personal good. So the boundaries and the restrictions God places in his word and the law are, are to protect us, protect us from, from guilt, from disease, from, from missing what would be the most fulfilling thing in our lives because we think something else would be fulfilling. God knows what would really be fulfilling in our lives. So look at Leviticus 18, verse 22. You, what's the, the next two words? You shall not. When my mother, and most of you know my dad died uh, when I was young, but uh, my mother, when my mother would say, you shall not, I understood that meant you shall not. <laughs> Did I always listen? No. Did I get in trouble? Yes. You shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now, let someone try and skirt around this and say, but, but that's just talking about someone being, you know, uh, let's, let's lay down and keep ourselves warm. It's cold. No, the word that's used there means to lie down in a sexual way. That's what the word means that's used in the Hebrew. And the word for abomination, just to give us some clarity that God is saying it's a bad thing, that word means in the Hebrew something that's morally disgusting and, and abhorrent. It even talks about idolatry and the, the root word it's built from means loathsome. So, so God is saying that's something he disdained. It's what he's saying here in the law. It's, it's an abomination to God. It's something that's, that, that's disgusting, morally disgusting to God. Later on in Leviticus chapter 20 verse 13, and we read this last week when I read about a whole lot of other sexual sins. But it says this, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination and they shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Put your mind on park for a minute and listen to what I'm saying. I don't want someone to get a partial truth and go off from here and say, man, the pastor at day three said we ought to go kill the homosexuals. That's what it might sound like to you. But you need to understand some things. One, God was creating a holy people for himself. 
God was giving his law to the Jews. And in a way that maybe doesn't have complete application to us, especially we don't take people's life for, for things like that now. But, but you've got to factor this in. God was concerned about protecting the seed, the bloodline of the children of Israel. Can anybody guess why? Because who? Jesus is going to be born through that bloodline. So God is interested in preserving that. That's why you have this serious statement that was given to the Jews. We're not told in this, this day and time we're supposed to go out and go out and find homosexuals and abuse them and beat them up and, and kill them or anything like this. I want you to hear clearly what I'm saying because you might read the scripture and not factor it in in a correct way. If you're going to do that, there's a whole lot of other reasons they stone people to death too. Amen? That, that you'd have to also start going out and, and practicing that we don't practice in our, in, in our, in our culture. Before you also think, well, man, that talked about man with a man, man with a man. It doesn't say anything about a woman with a woman. Wait, wait for Romans 1. We'll be there in a minute, okay? In Romans 1. Some people use this excuse, though, because I just read from the Old Testament. I just read from the law. People say, well, that, but, that, but that, that's back in the Old Testament. And it, you remember, we've kind of evolved past that, Ham. We know we have, and I'll say a lot about that in a minute near the end of the message. But that's all in the Old Testament. I mean, does that really still have application for us and, and things like that? And then some people will use this argument and this excuse, and they'll say, well, why do you just want to point in the Old Testament about what it says concerning homosexuality? Well, what about the dietary laws? What about where it says not to, not to eat pork? And, you know, you, you, you Baptists are going out and having your southern barbecues all the time. I submit to you kind of off the top about that, that eating pork, I think, is greatly different than committing sexual sin and homosexuality. But someone that wants to present that argument, they're missing something. <laughs> they're missing the fact that God gave ceremonial laws to the Jews that we don't practice today. And he gave dietary laws that typically we don't practice today. That being said, probably have a more healthy lifestyle by practicing some of those dietary laws in your life. But it was given to the Jews. They were given civil laws because of the government that they were having set up. God creating this people to himself. That They were given a variety of laws. And some of those laws were specific toward the Jews that don't necessarily have a, a, a massive application to us. But in the moral law, which is what homosexuality would deal with. In the laws concerning morality, those have an all-encompassing application for the whole human race. Because God was wanting what is right and what is best and what fits his plan for our lives. On top of it, guys, and you can, you can help me out, I guess, if you want to. Read this and search all the way through it. From cover to cover. I have done that over the years, by the way. 
And I don't think you can find one positive comment about homosexuality in all the Bible. Not one time. Would you not think with everything else the Bible addresses, if it's okay and it could be a good, wholesome, loving relationship, that somewhere in all the pages of God's Word that God would have addressed it somehow in a positive way? But He doesn't ever address it in a positive way. So if we start out in the beginning of the Bible and then we jumped in the law. So, so let's look at what the New Testament has to say about homosexuality. I told you wait on Romans 1, so here it is. Homosexuality, guys, is condemned in Romans 1 as part of the downward fall of the human race. Part of the downward spiral of the human race. That's what Romans 1 is kind of addressing. So some people somehow in their mind uh, think we've got this little divine flame within us, and the more we fan it, the better we get, and, and the human race is just evolving into something grander and something better. Man, I don't get that when I read the news, do you? I mean, go back to Adam for a minute. I alluded to him a moment ago just briefly about him naming the animals and getting a felt need in, in his life. How many of you feel like you'd have the capacity to name every animal on the face of the planet? Sound like we've lost something somewhere because of sin, haven't we? Look at what the Bible says here, and I'll unpack some of it uh, in just a minute. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, because of all that I just read, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God into a lie. Instead of it being the truth, they're exchanging the truth about God into a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. And Paul puts an appropriate amen there. Amen. God is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to the dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. So there's the, the women mentioned. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased, or some translations say reprobate mind, to do what ought not to be done. Now, now get a full picture of what's happening there. Now, notice how the failure to honor God in rejecting the knowledge of God, which, by the way, it is said even though they knew God, the word there in the Greek means they absolutely knew God. It doesn't mean there's any question mark. We didn't read all of Romans chapter 1, but it tells us there that through creation, but it's looking at the, the abundance of creation, the beauty, the complexity of creation, DNA that we know about in this day and time. If we just look at creation and then inside of us, God built us with a, with a, with a God-shaped hole in our conscience. By our very conscience, we know from our conscience and from creation, there must be a God. 
So even though they, they absolutely knew God, they failed to be thankful to God and, and failed to honor God. And it had these tragic consequences. They became futile in their thinking. And, and that phrase means to render foolish in their external discussion or debate. In other words, what people say on the outside was futile and, and, and foolish. And what they are reasoning about on the inside, their internal consideration was futile and foolish. Does that explain to you why you hear sometimes things on the, on the news and you think, man, that don't sound right. <laughs> really? Next week, by the way, is religion and politics. So don't miss that. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I am going to talk about how those two things ought to interrelate and how they should not interrelate. But guys, just to give a thing about futile thinking, if you've been listening to the news this week at all, one of the Democrat candidates talking about abortion said abortions will help control the human race, the population of the human race, and in turn help with climate warming. That, that sounds like a little bit of warped thinking. Amen? That sounds a little bit like the futile thinking as a result of the fall. It said their foolish hearts were darkened. That means their, their unintelligent, wicked thoughts and feelings, even their emotions were, were obscured or hidden in darkness and shadiness. God gave them up for their lustful hearts, which were bent toward impurity. When it says God gave them up, it means God surrendered them or yielded them up or transmitted them over. So, so get the picture of that. It's not God trying to be mean. God is kind of saying, all right, you don't want to know me. You don't want to listen to me. You, you don't want to honor me whatsoever. Here's, I'm just going to give you over to what you want. That, that's what he did with the human race. He, he surrendered us over to these things. He, he surrendered us over to lust, the longing for something that's forbidden, to having lustful hearts, our, our very thoughts and feelings and emotions being lustful, that, that's bent toward impurity. That means something that's morally unclean or lewd as far as God is concerned. God gave them up to dishonoring their, their, their bodies. And the word for dishonoring means to, to render infamous. It's not something good. It's something the exact opposite, to, to maltreat your body, to despise your own body. God gave them up. For idolatry, which can also include making an idol out of sex in the human body. God gave them up to dishonorable passions, which is clearly explained in that passage of Scripture, uh, referring to some homosexual activity. Men with men and, and women giving up their natural affection, implying women with women. And God calls this activity exchanging and giving up natural relations. It says contrary to nature. Now listen to what that phrase means, contrary to nature. The word that's used there, the phrase that's used there in the Greek, means it's against growth by germination or expansion or natural reproduction. It goes right back to what we talked about in Genesis. God told man to multiply. So he, he, he gives them up to do things that's contrary to nature, to, to give up natural relations. And the phrase there means natural relations employed in the sexual intercourse relationship is exactly what the word means. 
And God calls this shameless acts. He's saying it's indecent. It's, it's something they should not have done. And then it says God also did this. He, he gave those people that were guilty of such things as homosexual activities, he gave them over, and they received in themselves the due recompense or the due penalty in this translation for their error. Uh, guys, you're already aware of this. If you, and, and I'm not saying go out and debate the world. I'm saying we need to know what we believe based on the Bible. There are a lot of people out in the world today that do not believe that's the Word of God. They could care less what you tell them about the Bible. I posted on my Facebook page, and I think on the church Facebook page also, an article dealing with this. It's by a very good apologist, and you ought to take time and read it. But, but see, if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't believe the Bible, this thing of receiving the due penalty to themselves, consider some of these stats. A practicing homosexual is twice as likely to try and commit suicide as a heterosexual. That, that doesn't sound like a positive thing. And somebody said, well, yes, because of the way they get treated by Christians and, and everything. That, that might be partly true, but I still think there's enough conscience there for them to recognize no matter how many times they tell themselves it's right, they understand really it's wrong. And they wrestle in severe ways inside themselves. On average, a practicing homosexual will live 20 years less length of life than a heterosexual will. Guys, that, that, that sounds like me. There's something going on. There's something wrong with, with the disease and, and things like that that, that come about. Factor in also the, the diseases and, and everything that can be part of that activity. Read that article. It's going to tell you things I'm not going to tell you, you know, right now in this message. But I'm just telling you the Bible clearly speaks against homosexuality. And those that keep practicing it, they're, they're receiving this recompense back to themselves. And people don't hear that in our culture because we've left the Word of God for whatever Hollywood says. We've left the Word of God for whatever, whatever culture says. God gave them over to a debased or reprobate mind. It means an unapproved, worthless mind. They, they can't even think clearly about the kind of things we're talking about. So in light of what we're reading there about the downward spiral of the human race, what about this? What about the people that say, and they're convinced. I've talked to some of them. Man, they're convinced. I was born like this. This is the way God made me. Once again, I'm not trying to tell you how to vote or not to vote. But, you know, there's someone running for president this time that is married to a man. And he says, if you don't like that, you need to take it up with God because this is the way God made me. So what do we say to that? Now, now please open up your ears and listen closely to what I'm about to say before you shut me down. The truth of the matter is we were all made like this. I'm not talking about homosexual tendencies. I'm talking about whatever tendency is you have, whatever sins you're tempted with, whatever it is you may wrestle with, even as a heterosexual, we were all made like this because of the fall of mankind into sin. 
God's never made anyone a homosexual. And for us to open up the door and go down that pathway as long as we, you know, trying to act like, well, that's just another option and everything. Do you understand what we open up the door to by saying that? Let me go to an extreme to illustrate it. What if I were to tell you, man, you know what? I think God just made me to kill people. God, God just designed me this way. God, God, God just made me to be a thief all my life. What about what we're already hearing as a result of opening up the door as much as we already have in our culture? What about a pedophile to say, God made me like this. I've got a right to practice this just as much as anyone has a right to practice their homosexuality. Now, like I said, I've got grown kids. I'm not too worried about them. You don't want to come to me and tell me you've got a right to do anything with my grandkids. Amen, Matt? <laughs> you see, that, that I'm, I'm just trying to illustrate. People don't think logically what it leads to, what the next thing could be. Because in essence, we're opening up the door to where anybody can say, but, but this is my feelings, this is my emotions, I think I'm made to do this, so I ought to have a right to do it because you've allowed them to have a right to do it. Do you understand the dangerous path we've opened up in our culture? Well, the truth of the matter is God has never made anyone to do anything except trip and fall on the stage. <laughs> I would have to do that when we're broadcasting on the line. <laughs> Pastor Day 3 must have been drinking Sunday. He couldn't walk up. <laughs> He's up there ranting and raving about homosexuality. <laughs> Guys, you get the point that I'm making about that? We all have our temptations. We all have our tendencies. It might be different than someone that's homosexual. But just because you have that tendency doesn't mean you have to act upon it. Do you recognize that? I've got temptations that you may not have. I have things that I've wrestled with in my life that you don't know anything about. I was introduced at an early age to pornography, and that did not have a healthy result later on in my life by a cousin of mine who was older than me. So there, there are things that I can be more prone to, things that you can be more prone to. But as Christians, if we know Christ as our Savior, we're told to deny ourselves and follow Him. Following Him doesn't mean, well, I trusted Jesus as my Savior, I'm on, I'm, I'm on my way to heaven now, and, and I'll just keep practicing my homosexuality. Or I'll just keep practicing my adultery. I'll just keep practicing this or practicing that. Look at what Jesus said. See, he calls us to repentance. He calls us to deny our desires. Not to think we don't have any choice and we have to give in to them. There's, there are a lot of people in the homosexual community that want to have it both ways. They want to say, well, I, I believe Jesus is my Savior. I've trusted him as my Savior. But I think it's okay for me to keep living a homosexual lifestyle, which we've just read pretty clearly in the Bible is immoral as far as God's concerned. Look, look what Jesus said. Chuck, I appreciate you writing that into G3. Because I think need, people need to be confronted with this. If anyone, anyone includes heterosexual, homosexual, anyone. Amen? Anyone. If anyone will come after me, notice this, let him, and I put the capital letters intentionally where you see it, let him deny himself. 
That means you deny your tendencies. You deny your temptation. You do, you deny your willingness to go and fulfill all of those things. Let us deny ourselves. And take up our cross daily. I think one way to, to interpret that is this. We're to die daily to ourselves. We're to crucify our desires daily for his desires. That's what it is to follow him. We're following him in his desires. Not thinking it's okay just to fulfill our own desires. Homosexuality is also condemned by the words of Jesus. Some people will debate this. There are a lot of people in this day and time will say, well, Jesus never said anything about it. So since Jesus never said anything about it, then since Jesus didn't condemn homosexuality, it must mean that it's okay. Well, see, there's a couple of flawed, seriously flawed parts of that argument. One is this. If you say Jesus never said anything about it, you don't even understand the Trinity and you don't even understand the validity of all of Scripture and the fact that all Scripture is inspired by God. I don't really, and don't get mad at me because I say this, if you're bringing one with you today, carrying one with you, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but I, but I really kind of don't like the red letter edition Bibles because I've heard people say this before, well, man, those letters in red mean more than everything else. No, they don't. (laughs) God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The whole Bible is the Word of God. The whole Bible is the Word of Jesus. And for someone to say, well, Jesus never spoke to it. Yes, he did. Read the Bible. It's all his Word. In another flawed argument for someone to say, well, well, Jesus never really said anything negative. Well, in a way, he kind of did because what he did was this. Jesus quoted what God's intent was for marriage and the male and female relationship in Matthew 19, verse 4 and 6, when he said, if you not read, that he who created them from the beginning and made them male and female and said, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Either Jesus is God in the flesh or he's not. He either knows what he's talking about or he's not. And Jesus quoted from the very beginning in Genesis, and that means that's what Jesus believes too. So you can't say Jesus didn't speak about it because he did. Homosexuality is condemned to connection with God's judgment also in the New Testament. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, or revilers, nor, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to read verse 11 again in a minute. So I'm going to skip that for a second. But guys, homosexuality is clearly condemned from the judgment of God's standpoint in that text. Homosexuality also misses this. And we talked about this when we talked about sexuality in general. Homosexuality misses God's purpose for your body. Go back to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 13, the second part, through verse 15. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and for the Lord of the body. And God raised, and the, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members with Christ? Therefore, he tells us in verse 18, jump down to verse 18, flee sexual immorality. 
Every other sin a person commits is outside of his body, but sexually, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. In other words, if you're a believer, you're not your own. You're bought with a price, and our goal is to do this, to glorify God with our body. Our body was made for God, not to fulfill our own desires. Not just to do whatever we want. Our body was made for the Lord, not sexual immorality. And the Lord was made for the body. He bought us with the shed blood of his son. Jesus took on a human body and it was nailed to the cross for our sins. That's how much God loves you. One day that body that you are in will be raised and be with God for all eternity. He is concerned about your body. He is concerned about what you do with your body. And the body wasn't made for immorality. It was made for the Lord. For those of us that are Christians, and I alluded to this last week, we are His house. I didn't say this last week, but just to give you another way to look at that. How many of you would be uncomfortable right now if you were to find out right after church when you go home, Jesus is going to be there waiting for you, and He's going to go home with you and spend the night. Oh, man, we better go hide those magazines. We better go hide some of those movies. Might I go clean the refrigerator out? See, here's the deal with that. That makes you uncomfortable. He lives inside of you. You're his house everywhere you go and everything you do. That's why our goal is to glorify Him. Any kind of sexual sin, whether it be homosexuality or any sexual sin that we've talked about, does not glorify God. One last thing we need to deal with that's really, really important, and that is this. Homosexuality embrace. In other words, if you want to embrace homosexuality and think there's nothing wrong with it, it's okay as an alternate lifestyle, can be a good, wholesome lifestyle, if that's going to be your argument, here's what you're going to have to do. Homosexuality embrace requires a complete rejection of the Bible. You might as well throw this away. If you're going to embrace homosexuality, because we've clearly seen what the Bible has to say about it. Go back to the original sin with Adam and Eve. Satan came in and tempted them by saying this, did God really save what you think he said? And that's the same thing that he wants to do with us, whether it be about whatever sin, homosexuality or any sin. Did did, did God really say it, it was wrong? He wants us to doubt the word of God and start to deny the word of God. You see, those who want to justify homosexuality they, they, they are put in, a, uh, in, in a, a position whether they logically have recognized it or not to where they must outright question and then go beyond just outright questioning the Word of God. They must outright deny the Word of God because we've seen, as I said a moment ago, what the Bible had to say. You see, if you're going to ignore God's communicated will and replace God's authority with your own authority, you must realize something. You're taking the position that you know more than God knows. 
And it's not just that, guys. In fact, what you're saying is this. You're saying the truth of God's word is insufficient in the matters of faith and how I ought to live my life. It's insufficient in matters of eternity if you are going to deny the word of God. Remember what Romans 1 said. You know, we have this futile thinking, darkened hearts, reprobate minds. That's what happened to the human race. So to me, it's kind of foolish for us to say, you know what, instead of trusting what God says, I'm going to trust my own emotions and my own desires and my own thoughts more than I'll trust what God says. And yet that's the predicament we put ourselves in. Whether we're talking about homosexuality or any other sin, if we're going to deny what the Bible has to say about it. And guys, here's the thing that's so dangerous. If you deny any part of this Bible, you're undermining the very gospel that you have hope in to take you to heaven one day. Because who's to say, well, if all that back there in Genesis is wrong and that's wrong in the law about homosexuality, then, then, then how do we know the gospel's right? How do we know John 3.16 is right? That, that's why we have to, to hold to what the Word of God says. And guys, we're not only doing that. If you start tearing down the Word of God and denying the Word of God, you're also attacking the very deity of Jesus. Because Jesus quoted back in Genesis from some of the things that address homosexuality just a moment ago. I'm going to kind of close by reading you some things. So give me just a moment. I'll read through them quickly. Maybe you've never read some things like this. By the way, this is uh, from David Platt's book, uh, Counterculture. Uh, Not his study guide, but the book that he wrote uh, on counterculture. These are some modern day, look this way, theologians. William Kent, who was on the United Methodist Committee to study homosexuality, here's one of his conclusions. The scriptural texts in the Old and New Testaments condemning homosexual practice are neither inspired by God, nor are they of any enduring Christian value. Just throw it away. Gary Comstock, who's a Protestant chaplain at Wesleyan University, said not to recognize, critique, and condemn Paul's equation of godlessness with homosexuality is dangerous. To remain within our respective Christian traditions and not challenge those passages that degrade and destroy us is to contribute to our own oppression. Do you hear what he's saying? If you don't like what he says because it's affecting you, then we just need to do away with it. Those passages will be brought up and used against us again and again until Christians demand the removal from the biblical canon or at the very least formally discredit their authority to prescribe behavior. Just throw the Bible away. Only use the parts of it that you like. It's basically what he's saying. Luke Timothy Johnson, who's a professor of New Testament at the Chandler School of Theology at Emory University, wrote these words. The Bible nowhere speaks positively or even neutrally about same-sex love. Now, that sounds good for a minute, but listen to what else he says. It doesn't really sound good because it does speak in negative ways. 
Not, not positively ever, but he said, I think it's important to state clearly that we do, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture and appeal instead to another authority when we declare that same-sex unions can be holy and good. In other words, nothing wrong with them. And what exactly is that authority? We appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience and the experience thousands of others have witnessed to, which tells us that to claim our own sexual orientation is in fact to accept the way in which God has created us. By so doing, we explicitly reject as well the premises of the scriptural statements condemning homosexuality, namely that it is a vice freely chosen, a symptom of human corruption and disobedience to God's created order. I can just kind of unpack that really quickly by saying more or less everything he just said is completely directly opposed to everything I have said this morning from the Bible. But pastor, they've got theological degrees. They do. I've got one too. I'm sorry, I guess I'm just going to be an old Christian redneck that doesn't know any better than just to think, you know what, I need to believe the Bible. I'm going to go with what God says above what men say. I'm going to go with God's thoughts instead of the thoughts of men. Because in Isaiah 55, verse 89, God said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. Guys, I'm just guessing God knows better than the guys I just quoted from. And we need to stick with the thoughts of God, not the thoughts of culture. We need to have our hearts tethered to God and not to culture. So I think the Bible's clear. I think, guys, the Bible clearly teaches homosexuality is a sin. It's a sin against the will of God. It's a sin against the purposes of God. But at the same time, listen, please listen, please listen and get this as a close. We have to be careful in the church about making homosexuality a sin to itself or the unpardonable sin that no one can be forgiven of. Because I have heard homosexuality in church context, in messages that I've heard other people preach, that you would instantly think, man, they are so bad, there's no hope for them, they're going to hell, it's a done deal, it's over with. I stopped short of reading verse 11 a minute ago. Remember everything I read a few minutes ago, talking about how, you know, thieves or whatever, homosexuality, everything that was addressed in that? It says, such were some of you. I've never been a homosexual. homosexual. Done some other things that are listed in that text. You've done other things that are listed in that text. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Thank God for that. Amen? Amen. And the same amen that you just rejoiced with is the same amen that a homosexual needs to be able to say one day. And they can say one day, 
if we will approach them in the right way and tell them the truth. Because I'll tell you up front, I can be friends with them. I've taken some out to eat before and sat down with them with the goal of winning them. I know personally some people used to be practicing homosexuals that are not today. I've read many stories about people used to be practicing homosexuals that are not today. That's even highly involved in ministry today. All I'm saying as we close is thank God for Jesus. Amen. Thank God for mercy. Thank God for grace. And it's not just for us. It's also for them. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.